0: about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Why, hello there.
1: It's your old pal, Sarah Silverman, and I'm back with a brand new season of the Sarah Silverman podcast. On my podcast, I am talking about uh, everything. Politics? Yeah, we get into it. Favorite sandwich shop in L.A.? I know a few spots, and I'm going to tell you about them. I'm also going to be talking to you. I will be reacting and responding to listener voicemails in real time. Let me tell you, things can get weird, and I love every second of it. Weird is my comfort zone. The newest season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast is
0: out now wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
0: Lemonada. Hey friends, it's Tuesday, September 7th, 2022. Welcome to The Interesting, where we break down the viral and very interesting news you might have missed. I'm B Spear. And on today's show, we've got Oha Lopez from the podcast, I'm Sorry. She's in the studio with us. I could not be more excited. And she is here to help us break down some of the more cringeworthy events of the past week as we ease back into work after the Labor Day holiday. We'll get into the accusations that CNN is restructuring their content to be more right leaning. We're going to join a group of modern feminists who are calling for folks to stop using code hanger iconography when discussing at-home abortion, and we'll dig into the Instagram scam that screwed people trying to get that coveted blue verification check. Woo! All that and more on today's The Interesting. OHA, welcome to the show. Hello.
1: Thank you so much for having me, V. It's Virgo season. My birthday is September 9th, and you can send presents to the Annoyance Theater in Chicago,
0: Illinois. Oh, I love Virgo. My wife Mm -hmm. is a Virgo. This is a very special time. The first story for today, we're going to get into the headlines. Mm -hmm. The first story for today is about uh, who tells the truth and how they tell it, really. So first, CNN allegedly is going to start to make much more right-leaning content. Had you heard about this?
1: I heard. Well, I know about John Malone and the sort of like the whole investor circle at top because of the Warner sort of HBO Max layoffs. Yes. So tell me more about this. But I am I'm really interested in this story. Yeah.
0: Okay. so here for the folks who are listening at home, let's get you all caught up first. And this is why I tend to keep my opinions out of the news. But I thought it is an important place for folks to give their opinion on one side or the other. Sometimes that's important, but it is dangerous. So CNN's new corporate overseer is Warner Brothers Discovery, as you said, and they own what used to be Time Warner, which included CNN. And the leading shareholder over at Warner Brothers Discovery is John Malone, a multi-billionaire and cable magnet. So Malone describes himself as a libertarian, although he travels in very right-wing Republican circles. In 2005, he held 32% of the shares of Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, which I thought was very interesting because Rupert Murdoch, of course, owns Fox News. And this John Malone guy is also on the board of directors at the Cato Institute, another uh, very conservative-leaning organization. And in 2017, John Malone donated $250,000 to Trump's inauguration. So decidedly very much on that side in overseeing now the content at CNN. Um, And Malone said that he wants CNN to be more like Fox News because in his view, Fox News has, quote, actual journalism and Malone wants the news portion of CNN to be at minimum more centrist. Yeah, it
1: would be so extremely naive to believe somebody who says that this is not like an actual shift that they want. It it just makes perfect sense and uh, it just feels like this insane corporate concentration mixed in with politics is just causing everything to sort of become uh, kind of monochromatic in terms of uh, in terms of coverage. Uh, this is scary. This is not. This is not without its um its stress. You know,
0: right? And it would be scary no matter which way this was going. I mean, mm-hmm. sort of this like authoritarian single. Uh, viewpoint, single narrative. That's state TV, people. We don't want that. That's very scary. That's no. like what they do in Russia. You know, we don't want to be a part of that. Yeah.
1: I'm from Venezuela. I experienced yes. that firsthand when you have literally not one outlet that's saying anything critical of the government. It feels really scary. And it feels like your world gets a lot smaller when
0: that happens. Right. And we saw that happen with the local news channels, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being bought newspapers up. Newspapers, too. Newspapers yeah. being shut down. Um, Gannett just laid off 400 local news mm-hmm. reporters. And that kind of stuff, it just, it really does a disservice to society. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's that's so pivotal, and especially if you think of John Malone, because I knew John Malone from like purchasing like Liberty Media, and I I don't know how long ago that was, but it was like a big merger between Liberty Media and iHeart Media. The reason I know had friends who work for like like Nation and Ticketmaster, and they own SiriusXM, Pandora. Ticketmaster, AT&T, WarnerMedia, and now CNN, HBO, all the discovery channels. It's too many things under one umbrella. And that's when, you know, like Senator Warren will come in and be like, we need to break this shit up. Like, yeah. this is what they're talking about. They're talking about one person or one investor with a huge point of view that essentially deploys their, you know, deploys their owned companies to kind of abet whatever their point of view is. And so we'll see how that Kind of continues to develop, you know?
0: And I think social media is so important now because it's not owned by one person who can direct a narrative. I mean, I have just as big a viewership as some of these big cable networks. Mm -hmm. And so we have this chance to break through those clouds, break through that noise, and bring back this idea of local community journalism um, and citizen journalism. But one of the things that I wanted so badly when I started to get big on TikTok was that verification mm. badge because I had so many people Damn. copying me and creating accounts and pretending to be me. And I was like, once I get that blue check, man, that's I need that validation and it's it's gonna like do all this stuff for me. It didn't do anything for me. It it does nothing. It doesn't change <laughs> you don't get paid, it doesn't change your life. It's very validating in terms of like, okay, I'm now, I guess, an official public figure. But people <laughs> chase this, they chase it and they want it so badly. And you 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 were telling me just before we got on that you had just read a story from ProPublica about an Instagram blue check scam oh my god yes this story
1: has everything it has a surgeon it has a dj with a double life it has mtv reality stars essentially propublica puts out this you know piece and propublica is a nonprofit profit that essentially is in charge of just kind of looking up abuses and uh they decide what that is propublica is a really great site but um it's essentially a verification sp- scheme oh, no. and it's sort of spectacular so it- it's a false verification i'll kind of tell you how it works sort of like step by step so um it, you know, essentially, the step—the first step—is that a client, a client of this particular guy that I'll talk to you about more in a second, oh my gosh. is kind of taking pictures of them and creating content of them in like designer clothing and like luxury roca- locations and like recording studios. So you gotta kind of like look the part, right. um, which honestly sounds like a fun photo shoot. I'm already like kind of into this scam. I'm like, maybe we and then- <laughs> scam ourselves. This sounds like a Let's fun scam. afternoon. The step two is essentially this guy would go to Spotify and Apple Music and they create music profiles for the clients and then they just start uploading basic songs with like dumb album art and then they purchase fake streams to make the songs appear really popular so they're kind of establishing this again you said like a breadcrumb trail of why this person deserves to have a blue check um, The they ended up figuring out who was at the center of the plot and he is a Miami based aspiring DJ oh, um, so it's just this guy and He's like, if you give me twenty five thousand dollars, I will do all of this stuff, and you will be verified. Which twenty five thousand dollars? Twenty five thousand dollars. These people are
0: verified. also sadly misled on how much influencers yes. make. Okay, do you know how 100%. long it would take to make twenty five thousand dollars without a talent? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
1: Oh my god! Okay, so it's, they
0: pay this guy. He does this right. stuff. So he
1: then he pays he does paid articles about the client's songs and those paid articles are published and they kind of add right, some extra legitimacy. Sure. Correct. And then step four, the client kind of uses their timeline to like, you know, post music content, spacing it out. They pay for the engagement. So they pay for the likes. They pay for the followers. They pay for everything and essentially sort of providing that as proof of their popularity. And then step five, they use Google to essentially search engine and Add their clients' music and articles to the indexes. So, Google has this thing called a, called a knowledge panel. Right. That essentially, like, this is what we know about this specific topic. Yeah. Um, and it in that specific knowledge panel will brand this. Oh, this person is a musical artist. This person is a influencer. And it'll and it'll brand somebody basically who searches for their name. Um, and then the step six, which I think is the fanciest step, it, it essentially, um. It's kind of the final step before verification where they edit their Instagram bio and feed and they completely highlight the musical career and sort of get rid of anything that doesn't have to do. If it's a picture of them and their beautiful wife and children, they're like, get rid of it. It's useless for this. Um, it's and off then brand.
0: It's off it's brand. It's off brand for you. <laughs>
1: and then after that they submit to meta for verification and then Jeez. if everything you know goes well then they get their blue check um but yeah it's like i think it's something like 400 people that that meta has discovered so far that specifically come from this
0: particular person um interesting story from texas members of a texas women's march group an email went out to this whole group of women that show up for like, you know, reproductive health rallies and women's rights rallies, asking them to stop doing these three things. One, they were asking them to please stop showing up in handmade tail costumes to these rallies. Mm. They were asking them to stop uh, putting up signs that say like castrate all men. Right. Or like, OK. All uh, right. Yes. I can see that. That's very scary. And then also stop using coat hanger iconography at abortion rallies. And a lot of people were pissed about this, and they were saying you can't tone police how folks show up to protest. Um, Eventually, the top brass at the Women's March, like the big Women's March group, clarified that folks are free to do whatever they want to, show up in whatever costumes they want to, with whatever signs they want to. Um, But I wanted to kind of talk about, like, these tactics as, like, are they effective or are they perhaps, like, worth exploring as something we move on from, you know? My first
1: inclination is to say that it makes sense for people to use those in some ways, or at least are 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 known to this day best way of galvanizing people is to shock them with the most sort of like egregious aspects of a policy, and you say, hey, if you implement this policy, this is the very worst thing that can happen. And uh, granted, I could see how using that iconography might indicate to you know people who. Can have children uh, or want to have abortions. That, um, that maybe that's the only way to do it. You know, I could see how there's a it needs to go in tandem with education. But I also think that there's a thousand ways to misinterpret
0: something and to not get the full story. Let me tell you a little bit more because I thought the same. I my gut reaction honestly Mm -hmm. was I would like to move on from those things because. Mm-hmm. Folks get made fun of a lot. And sometimes that can, like cloud the goal of the protest. People are making mm-hmm. fun of the costumes. or the thing that I thought was scary is I, ok. So I have never been pregnant <laughs> as a lifelong gay. i've I've really very little experience with women's health and like different things that go on. So I had seen the coat hangers, and I thought, well, that must be, you know, what they did back then. Um, and it turns out that is not true. And if I thought that, I'm sure many other people thought that. well, these two um activists were saying, Especially when it comes to the coat hanger iconography, the right has adopted and corrupted the symbolism of the coat hanger to mean that all kinds of self-managed abortions are dangerous, and they're not, first of all, so that's one. And then this Canadian midwife and author, Molly Dutton-Kenny, was saying, in choosing to elevate the coat hanger symbolism to promote clinical abortion care, essentially the need for clinical abortions, the movement effectively demonized all forms of abortion care that don't take place in a doctor's office or a hospital, and that that iconography promotes inaccurate historical references in order to distill a nuanced and complex history of community abortion care as generally dangerous. So
1: the suggestion is— I guess the suggestion is that as a symbol that the coat hanger is essentially out of date and that it can be harmful because it suggests that all abortions that are not in a state where it is legal, where you have a a clinic or a Planned Parenthood can be unsafe or will be unsafe, really. Um, But that is not actually true. Right. And you actually Um,
0: should not use a coat hanger if performing an at-home abortion. And in fact, that was never a thing. I was like, oh, yeah.
1: Okay, I totally, I totally understand. Um, I totally understand where they're coming from. And I and usually you can see both sides of a thing. Yeah. And I think there's so many questions around the pill, and where to get it, you know, legally, where to get it safely, that I can see the murkiness, I can see the gray area that they're dealing with. So totally. um, Well,
0: maybe we'll get some signs for these services that are doing this work. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can go to heyjane.co. That's one place that will, at plannedparenthood.org, or visit our pals at getsticks, G-E-T-S-T-I-X.com. Discreet, confidential, does not require a doctor's note to get the the medical abortion pills or Plan B or uh, a, a host of women's health uh, stuff that they yeah. offer. No,
1: I think that's so wonderful. And I think it's the idea of sending people resources like this. That it, right now, it has to be a community gaining momentum for itself and and being there for each other. And I know there's a really great website called uh, Plan C, yeah. uh, PlanCPills.org. And essentially what they do is they don't kind of... Uh, uh, co-sign on any pills, they just say essentially, like, we've ordered these. We've particularly tested these pills out. We know they're functional. They're not duds. They're not being sold to you because there's so many providers. You can go to so many different websites that will sell you pills that can be shipped to your house. So plancpills.org can help you choose the right one for you. Um, so it's definitely, th- there are really great resources out there. You know, what you're advocating for is like this general knowledge, what we're all talking about and. Making sure that it's not confusing for people. Yeah. Uh,
0: Oha, at this point in the show, we typically yes. do just a couple quick hits, fat, like mm, hot takes okay. hot takes okay. to some crazy headlines that I will read for you. Uh, here we go. Are. are you ready? I'm ready. Russia is unhinged right now. Uh, oh, very God. suspicious shit happening. Right before the holiday weekend, the chairman of a Russian oil and gas giant, Luke Oil, who spoke out against Russia's invasion of Ukraine, died after falling Mm -hmm. out of a hospital window, but their media didn't tell people he fell from a sixth floor hospital window. They said, the chairman has died after a long illness.
1: What? They lied? Bold face?
0: Oh, I know. So surprising. Russian media oh,
1: lied. Oh, my God. Because I know, and, and this is so crazy because it's like uh, Mikhail Gorbachev passed away. So it's a lot of Russian people dying. One, Mikhail Gorbachev, I would have believed a long illness. I think he's like 92 or 93. But...
0: <laughs> not this guy.
1: I'm so sorry. I do not mean to laugh about the death of a human being, but... It, I find Russia to be sort of like the fuck boy of political countries. It's like they're telling you one thing, but the truth is they mean something completely fucking different. I Oh, my God.
0: They're knocking them out, though. They're knocking them out. I mean, not to accuse people of anything, of course, all hypotheticals, but they also—the daughter of Putin's number two was just killed in that car explosion. Now this guy's falling out a hospital window. Yikes. Russia's coming undone. Russia's coming undone. Um, Demi Lovato famously used they, them pronouns, is now using she, her pronouns. Mm -hmm. What do we think? I
1: think it's amazing. Gender is a journey. I think— gender is a journey that's exactly right I think the criticism is annoying and comes from lack of lack of you know knowledge but you know I live with somebody who's non-binary and as a person who's witnessed that up front and very close um, you know they've gone through an entire journey and sometimes they don't want to make a big deal out of it and they beg you know they beg me to just say she her and other times they feel really confident with them and I think part of it is getting comfortable trying things out seeing what fits you and seeing what doesn't and Demi just has to do it in front of all of us you know I know. Um, I hope more people can come out about, about um, you know whatever they're feeling at any moment and we just get to respect it and yeah, not make a big deal about it
0: I used to do the they, them pronouns. I was very, very strong about it. I like them the best. And then I became a figure of the internet. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use all the pronouns because people will weaponize them against you. And then it's like, this is just hard. I don't want to think about gender this much. So I'm just going to... You... Tell me what you perceive, and I'm just going to live my life. And I'm grateful that I've been able to get to that point. I know for so many folks, they're not at that point. But it's just, if someone tells you that they changed them, they just changed them. It's no bigs.
1: I'm sorry that that happened to you, V, and I hope that um, it becomes really simple one day. And it doesn't have to be this thing that is marred by complication of your professional life and your personal life. So we'll, we'll pray for that.
0: Well, we shall. We'll pray to the gods Mm -hmm. of uh, puppies and Madonna. (laughs) Puppies and... That's exactly the gods. Exciting news. The first Native Alaskan and first woman ever will represent Alaska in Congress, which is so fun. Mary Patola. Did you hear about this? She beat Sarah Palin. (sighs) I did. I am... I'm
1: so excited. I'm very proud of her. I know we talk about representation a lot, and it feels like this sort of like mart issue. But when it's in politics specifically, yeah. when it's in policy making positions specifically, representation is where it is really fully at. I mean, somebody who can advocate for a community that they're in, somebody who understands the kind of ins and outs of a real place and is not. Um, and and isn't trying to exclude people is a really exciting prospect for for the people of Alaska. So I'm very very
0: excited. That's so cool. She's so cool. She's got such a great and she is, she does have a lot of bipartisan support as well. Mm-hmm. She is so educated on things like fishing and wildlife and natural resources that's been her career mm-hmm. all to this point. I mean, if that's not Alaska, I don't know what is. Like I'm just so excited to see what What truth she tells us about this place that we don't really get to hear about a whole ton, you know? And I I really think it's going to be a big power move for the state of Alaska, and I'm just so thrilled for them. Another thing I'm super thrilled for, and I don't know if you saw yet, Twitter is testing an edit button.
1: I didn't even know about this. I'm going to have to text Mahanad right now about this edit button. He's been wanting it. He's going to be thrilled. He's been wanting it. Mahanad is my co-host on I'm Sorry, as well as Kiki. Um, I don't know. This seems like a lot of really fun opportunities here to say something and then lie about what you said. And I love that behavior.
0: I think that's what they're trying to say. I wonder if you'll be able to see the revisions. Like, I think the only way that the Twitter edit button can happen, which I would love is a dyslexic because I spell shit wrong all the time. And then I'm like, God <laughs> okay, good, good. damn it. Like, nobody even knows what that said. Um, But it's probably not that nice why people want an edit button.
1: <laughs> It's usually to say something pretty egregious and then
0: gaslight other people. <laughs> and then it, everybody had retweeted it. Yes, exactly. Correct, 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 Um, And lastly, what do you think about quiet quitting? I'm so sick of hearing about it, but I want to know quiet quitting. What do you think?
1: I'm going to be a very cool kid and say that I've been quiet quitting my entire life from essentially every job until I started doing comedy and entertainment. Um, it is a way of life for you people who are coming on board now these days. Um, I have always given up exactly, you know, 10 to 12 months into the job. I believe it is the Gen Z and millennial way. If I don't care about the job, that is what you're getting out of me. You cannot have any more of me other than that. Um I know that we're supposed to be people who are advocating for ourselves at all times, and we're supposed to be hustling all the time and looking for the next position when you no longer care about the role that you're in. Um, But that's not how we operate as humans. We, We sometimes need some time to stew in our unhappiness before we're ready to move on. But that unhappiness will present ourselves in the form of not responding to your damn emails.
0: So I'm all for it. The boomer generation that stayed at their jobs forever, there was a reason. They had incredible benefits. There was these cost of life. The world is just structured different, so we can't worry about uh, you know, people saying, oh, you're lazy or you're entitled. Like, no, this is the way the ladder has moved. The ladder <laughs> is now strange. like a weird escalator situation. Where you got to go up one, walk through the department and then go up the next one. There's no straight and ladder. you got to
1: know a guy at Twitter to get verified. You know like there is no... <laughs> a guy in data analytics that we're going to be
0: under the table pay to... <laughs> That's right. That's how you get ahead. Oh my gosh. All right. We're going to take a quick break. After the break, Oha and I are going to chat about some public apologies, the best and worst of summer 2022, and how she is spending her last remaining months as a single woman now that she's getting married very soon. All of that after this.
1: Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere? And suddenly you're panic, sweating, and laughing at the same time. Don't don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people, and we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Pod Crush are out now wherever you get your podcasts. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media.
0: Welcome back, friends. I am back with I'm Sorry host and comedian, Oja Lopez. Hello, and thank you for having (laughs) me, V. So you are the host of I'm Sorry here on the Lemonada Network, and it only feels right to start off with some of the most iconic apologies of summer 2022. What's the first one that comes to mind for you?
1: Oh, man. The first one that comes to mind. uh, I mean, this is sort of like playing the hits, but probably uh, the sort of post post Will Smith apology, the most recent one, because he did his sort of like quickeroo the next day. Um, But he did go on and kind of apologize to Chris and the Rock family. And um, in my mind, I felt like it was a more sort of like thought out apology, you know, so I'd probably go with that one as my number one. Um, just because we were waiting for a more like a, a more involved one versus like you know the the post it note or the the sort of right. like you know screenshot of your of your phone one. Um, but did, yeah, that's my number one. Did Chris ever apologize to Will or to Jada? He sort of like tangentially said uh, like uh, my apologies to Jada. Like it was more like hey, I didn't mean to offend anyone, so it wasn't really a full apology. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was more of a little tentative, uh, oh fuck, that just caused me to get slapped in the face. So I should probably <laughs> say something about this. Yeah, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> I'm sorry I got
0: slapped in the face.
1: I'm <laughs> sorry I got slapped in the face. I
0: wish to not be slapped in the face again. So I'm going to kind of apologize for my attempt at comedy. Yes. So I'm sorry focuses upon like public gaffes and different like goofy things that celebrities and mm-hmm. folks do. What do you find both fascinating and terrifying about campaigns? Cancellation, which is featured on the show quite a bit, folks who have been canceled.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely think there's a little bit of like fatigue. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes around the conversation of cancellation, and I think it's taken on sort of this kind of larger than life uh, feeling where it's like we were we're all a part of this wave that like gets to cancel this person or gets to do that. And I do think that right now views are evolving a little bit, and I think some of the progressive people or some of my best friends aka the social media justice warriors yep uh, i think people are starting to look inside and say how can we be more effective at this because Mm -hmm. um obviously you're not getting the press you want you're not getting the end goals that you want which is to like neutralize bad behavior and you know not just disrespectful behavior but like downright abusive behavior and um so i think cancellation is evolving. Uh, I think we were in, when this started, maybe, you know, Me Too and all that, I th- I like to say we were kind of in, like, the Mesozoic era of treating mm-hmm. people kindly online and interpersonally. And I think we're just getting past that very first sort of big shock wave of cancellation. And I do think cancellation has a place in culture. I think that if there is a predator out there and you need to warn other people that there is a madman, like, yeah. you know, do doing horrible things to us that... that Talking about it and presenting our case online might be the only, you know, place that we have. Um, But, you know, there's certain changes that I see coming about, like, you know, like revenge porn getting taken down and there being legislation and policy around that. And um, there being just sort of like a very careful and watchful eye on things, I think, is going to allow us to get to the next level of this. So, uh, you know, and I'm sorry, I think we're trying to move along with that. And we are trying to present sort of a hot take on what's going on and something you can kind of go back to your friends and and talk about it in that specific POV. But we're also trying to evolve the conversation a little bit on what it means to get canceled and, and what it means to have just a lot of people talking about you online.
0: Yeah, um, person of the day yeah. kind of stuff. And I think there's power in owning your shit too, right? Like there've been things on, under the desk that I've just gotten completely wrong. I've said it wrong. We're going to, you know, every so often have a take that's like, wait, oop, I didn't realize that that was going to cause harm, but intent doesn't matter. Um, what's the power in owning your shit? Oh, what a question. Well, I'll tell you, as a reformed
1: bad girl, I grew, I was, oh my God, you guys, my 20s were essentially a string of theft, relationship breakoffs, and the loss of friends due to my own terrible behavior. So that is a, that is a real part of my life, you know, and I think yeah. probably from ages 20 to 27, um, my little frontal lobe was still mushy, perfect for Leonardo DiCaprio to date, but all in cases, my my frontal lobe was just not totally there yet. And if some of these people came out of the woodwork and started talking about the bullshit that I did when I was, you know, a young adult, I definitely think that the moment that it switched over for me was when I really integrated accountability into my life and into the way that I operate and into the way that I deal with my friendships and my family and, uh, you know, my professional life. Yeah. I mean, owning your shit is like, that's the turning point. That's the moment. And, and on, honestly, it's like, there's always a new thing to own your shit about, you know, as you get better and more evolved and have people that know what they're talking about in your life. Um, hopefully... You can be a mirror to others. Others can be a mirror to you about your own behavior. And I think my mom calls it like big boat skills, you know, when you have a little boat skill is you fuck up. You were late. You made a mistake. Um, The things that it can be kind of easy to apologize for because they don't like cut to the core of who you are. But the big boat skills, like somebody who can apologize easily, who the first thing that they do when somebody comes up to them and says, hey, you messed this up. And that first sort of inclination maybe defense, but... 30 seconds later, you can like mellow and let the the critique in. It changed my life. So I can't imagine it wouldn't changed other people's lives, you know?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I'm glad that I, as an, as an elder millennial, I'm glad that, yeah, my fuckboy years aren't on the, <laughs> my <laughs> hey mama days.
1: <laughs> I was a Catholic slut shamer. I was a, I was everything. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: I'm glad those aren't on the internet. Um, I know we, like, I've given advice to my younger siblings in the past. I'm like, you just have to accept you're going to be somebody's bad guy. You're going to be, you're not going to want to be, you're a good person in your heart, but something you do, you everybody is somebody's. Bad guy, everybody broke somebody's heart, you know, and mm-hmm. owning that and then knowing to not do that in the future, or not getting a thrill out of that, I think is definitely part of growing up. And I, w- and I hope that there is grace for the kids who are chronically online, who have been raised online, who have had every moment of their lives documented. Um, yeah. Before we click off of cancel culture, though, is there something in American culture right now that most people are finding funny that you like totally are like, uh uh-uh. uh, let me give you a warning, people who are finding this funny, you're going to be apologizing someday.
1: Oh, man. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. I just think, even just us protecting the whole situation mm-hmm. and the whole idea of like now it becoming part of a more like political discourse where like people on the rights and men's group are like investing and pouring money into like coverage against Amber. Like there's something really insidious going on right now in terms of pop culture and politics sort of like bleeding into each other. And we, we have always known that politicians are famous people and we've always known that politicians lie and there's this sort of sheen on politics that we can already see clearly, Mm -hmm. but the sheen on other things becoming political, I think also a Venn diagram of where your show and our show, I think, (laughs) sort of like click together, you know, Yeah. Um, because I think... That's really, I think, part of what worries me. When Women in media are always going to be something, you know, when we look at the early 2000s and, you know, the 90s, we are constantly going back and revising, you know, how we treated people. And so that's a really great question. But I would say that. I would say don't laugh at all about this trial because it has – a larger significance, I think, than than what we think it does.
0: As someone adept at improv, can you talk about what it's like to have to commit to something once you've said it or done it, regardless of someone's uh, reaction? We had Rose Kelso on a couple weeks ago, and she was talking about okay. bombing a joke and how sometimes you have to see it through, my boy. You got to see it through. What is that like? One hundred percent.
1: Well, I feel in improv in particular, I feel when you say something that people can hear, the way we describe it is you've made a promise to the audience that that will have that they will be able to see this thing that you said through. If you drop something in the middle of your set, like you were a, I don't know, like an old drunk Italian, you know, picking out a gift for their millennial child or for their Gen Z child. You know, like you you have to carry that character through until the very end. You can't drop the physicality. You can't drop, even if you're not getting laughs, the worst thing you can do in an improv scene is give up midway and not commit. Um, because I, I really love that notion of, of seeing it through. You know, sometimes you have to take big swings and figure out how to how to earn it later. And that's what we do call it in improv. We call earning it. Like, if you say that you're a, you know, you're a badass business bitch on stage, (laughs) like you have to do things that a badass business bitch would do. And that's the way that you earn that. And I think that's probably what your comedian friend is is saying is sometimes a joke falls flat because you haven't earned it. And if you can just push the audience a little bit further, you can maybe bring them back because you earn it in posterity. You paid off your debt, you know?
0: I love that whole idea. I think that works so well for the regular world. What you say is a promise. And if you've said something, you have to commit to it all the way through. Jeez, you're so insightful, my friend.
1: Hey, improv is philosophy. And I know that it's a cult and that if your friends who are in improv ask you to go to a show, you probably shouldn't. Because <laughs> the truth is, there, there's a there's an aura around improv. But I'll tell you, once you're in, baby— Oof! That is the most supportive, kind, magical community um, in the world, and there's a lot of gays in it. So we love the If you're gays. trying to date somebody, go to improv.
0: Go improv. Get yourself to the black box theater. Mm-hmm. It's scary, but it's yes and right. Yes and uh, yes and queer and supportive communities. You're getting married soon. Congratulations! Oh
1: my god! Thank you. I never thought it would be me. I thought it would be a a Wanderlust fuck boy for the rest of my life. No, but, you're that girl. Um, you're
0: getting married now. What does married life look like for a queer Latina in Chicago?
1: Very heteronormative. Really? Very, okay. very heteronormative. Very no, I'm just fine. You're like really I don't understand sarcasm. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: <I'm telling you. laughs> um listen, V. Who's the man and who's the woman is what this, what is what I'm asking. Okay. Um, uh, No, no, no. Listen, Uh, married life in Chicago, Illinois for a gay Latina. I mean, I think not much different than what it is right now. It involves me um, staying home, not cleaning anything, barely cooking, um, being extremely preoccupied with like writing bits about sock lawsuits and Star Trek
0: <laughs> just breaking um, every stereotype possible breaking them all every stereotype
1: possible absolutely
0: Oha how do people keep up with you how do they find you
1: you Yes, you can find me on Instagram. Well, you can find me across all platforms at Aloha Oha H A L O H A H O J A. I am all over the place and producing a bunch of stuff and writing a bunch of stuff in, in here in Chicago too. I'll be in something called Splatter Theater in October, which is uh, the Annoyance Theater, sort of like epic Halloween show. That's one of the shows I'm most excited about. Um, and yeah, go to the Annoyance Theater and do some. Cool- Improv.
0: I love it. And I will be tuning in as I always do to the I'm Sorry podcast. It is one of my favorite places to relax, hang with you and Kiki and Mo. Such a great show. Thank you, V. Thank you again to Oha Lopez from the I'm Sorry podcast for keeping us company today and bringing that great story about the drama with the Instagram verifications. That was a zinger. I loved that one. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we will have some good news from OHA's neck of the woods, Chicago. So stick around.
1: Can't get enough of your favorite Lemonada Media podcasts? By subscribing to Lemonada Premium today, you'll gain access to fun and inspiring bonus content from all of our podcasts across the Lemonada Media network. As a subscriber, you can listen to never-before-heard interview excerpts between Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her A-plus guests on Wiser Than Me, laugh along with Elise Myers as she and her guests play a rapid-fire questions game on Funny Cause It's True, and continue to uncover new ways to make life suck less through our exclusive subscriber audio. Check out a free trial of Lemonada Premium today in the Apple Podcast app by clicking on our podcast logo and then the subscribe button. Two young fathers are shot to death outside an iconic Utah restaurant. I said, your dad has been hurt really bad. The grief was disorienting for those left behind until one choice changed everything. I just remember writing this letter and it wasn't me writing it. Can a personal decision shape generations? We're all falling for this guy's trick. I'm Amy Donaldson. Season two of The Letter, Ripple Effect, is available now. Follow us at theletterpodcast.com
0: or wherever you get your podcasts. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show, good news. Now, we will get to Chicago, but for this story, we have to start in Texas. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has been busing migrants from the Texas borders to sanctuary cities around the nation in this kind of very cruel PR stunt. Well, old boy Abbott messed with the wrong city when he sent a bus of migrants to Chicago this weekend, thinking that the city of Chicago would complain and reject these folks. Not so much. A spokesperson for Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, said, "...Chicago is and will continue to be a welcoming city. We are collaborating across various city departments and with local, state, and community partners to ensure everyone who arrives in Chicago is greeted and treated with dignity and respect." City officials maintain that temporary shelter solutions for those arriving from Texas will be found and support will be provided. You got to love Chicago. This is a city with open arms all of the time. Chicago doesn't always get painted that well in the headlines, but truly a vibrant and beautiful city. Let me tell you a couple things I love about Chicago. One, Chicago boasts 28 miles of lakefront with 24 beaches. There are more than 600 parks and 8,800 acres of green space. There are eight major league sports teams, a little bit of something for everyone. And for my artsy folks, they've got 200 theaters, 60 museums, and 7,300 restaurants. The chocolate brownie, Cracker Jacks, deep dish pizza, and the Twinkie were all invented in Chicago. So if you're listening from Chicago, I want you to know I personally appreciate you, and I'm just so grateful for what your mayor is doing for these folks just trying to find a better life here in the United States. Be sure to tune into Friday's episode where we are going to be chatting with Stephanie Whittleswax, one of my favorite people on Earth, and one of the co-founders of Lemonada Media. We also want to know what you think of the show. If something is good, if something's bad, what's happening in your life? Do you have some good news? Please leave me a voicemail at 612-293-8550. Subscribe to Lemonada Premium on Apple Podcasts. Follow me at Under the Desk News. And remember, it's not quiet quitting. It's doing only the work that you're being paid to do. You are golden. Take care of yourselves. We will see you on Friday. The Interesting is a Lemonada Media original. Our producers are Rachel Neal, Jorge Oliveras, and Donnie Matias. Executive producers are Stephanie Whittleswax and Jessica Cordova Kramer. Mix and scoring is by Brian Castillo and Johnny Vince Evans. Music is by Seth Applebaum. Please help others find the show by rating and reviewing wherever you listen. And follow us across all social media platforms at Vitus Spear and at Under the Desk News and at Lemonata Media. If you want more V Interesting, subscribe to Lemonada Premium only on Apple Podcasts. I'm Paul F. Tompkins. I'm Lauren Lapkus.
1: And I'm Scott Aukerman. And together we make up the show...
0: Freedom!
1: Freedom! We're comedians from Los Angeles who are also friends. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it?
0: (laughs) And on our podcast, we just... Chat with each other, have fun, play games. It's just a good hang. We just talk about everything that's happened in our lives ever before and up to now and what will happen next. We <laughs> see <laughs> the future. <laughs> so the new season's out now. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever so get you get that. Wherever. Wherever. Listen. Bye. Shana!
1: Last Day from Lemonada Media explores the moments that change us. Those times where you look back and say, whoa, one day I was myself and the next I wasn't. I'm Stephanie Whittleswax, and I have seen time and time again how sharing these stories can change lives. So, do you have a moment in your life that changed you, fundamentally and forever? What happened? How did you move through it? And how did you eventually start again? If you'd like to share your story, go to bit.ly slash
0: lastdaystories, bit.ly slash lastdaystories.
1: We can't wait to hear from you.